So this is, God knows what number it is, and it'll go live soon. And today's guest is a guy called Chris Levy. Now, I came across Chris in a podcast platform, and I just found his profile really, really interesting. He's, I'll just get a wee bit, he's a Navy veteran. Hope I got that right. Army. He, he likes what Army it was. Oh, my God. See, I've messed that up already. It's even worse, and he likes wine. So my whole thing was, how can we delve into this as a guy whose self has just really started to enjoy wine at 50 years of age? Yeah. I'm curious as in, what did I miss? And how do you teach people? But also, what has life been like up to now? So rather than me bore the tits off everywhere with what I think Chris is up to, I'll let Chris tell you yourself. So over to you, Chris. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me on today, Grant. Uh, been looking forward to this. Glad, glad we were able to record today. And um, I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited to share my story, but really excited to, to hear more about um, some, a few things you maybe got, got going on. Just like you said, shoot the shit. Um, I'm yeah. always, down to, always down to do that. So uh, a little bit about me. I'm, uh, I'm an Army officer, uh, served 11 years in the Army. Um, and then I've been doing entrepreneurship for about four years now. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a journey for me, um, and going through this kind of entrepreneurial process and, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people kind of talk about the similar thing. You kind of go through this like existential crisis when you're, you know, 28, 29, 30, you know, I'm 32 now, but this kind of started. Yeah, just a boy. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this, this whole existential crisis for me started back when I was about 28 or so. And uh, I was like, you know, all right, what do I want to do? What do I want to be when I grow up, as we all say? Um, and I just started, started reading, you know, started listening to podcasts, started talking to people and um, had had a amazing trip to Italy in uh, 2017 and got, I said, why, this is my first solo trip, uh, my first time traveling internationally by myself. Um and I set this intention for that trip that I was going to go there and learn as much as I could about Italian wine. That was like, I'm going to do all the touristy stuff and all that stuff. And you can say, oh, I'm going to go see the Michelangelo. I'm going to go, you know, go to the Vatican and all that stuff. That's all great. But I said, all right, my number one priority is, is Italian wine. Um, and so I did that and I was just blown away by how much I learned I didn't know about wine <laughs> at the end of the trip. And it made, it just made for this kind of like catalyst in my mind about you know that i could potentially do something in, in wine and uh it really it really all started back when uh my dad would come to visit me i was stationed in colorado springs yep. um a few years back probably about 10 years ago and uh, i had just gotten back from afghanistan and my dad would come to town like once a month uh to to take his employees out to dinner and kind of just you know uh, shoot the shit with them and check in you know build his relationships with employees and kind of show them like give them a thank you for their hard work and uh, I would get to tag along and spend, spend some time with my dad and meet his employees and everything. But we would go to dinner and he would get the wine list or the wine menu from the waiter. And he would look at the list and be like, oh, dang, this is what we're going to have tonight. Like, let's order this bottle of wine. Yep. And I remember, like, I would look at the same list and be like, I don't know what half the shit means. Like, Red, white. What, is a, what is a Brolo? What is, like... What is a Cabernet? Like, I don't know what any of this means. And so I just like, I would sit back and I would watch him do this and I would just be in awe. And I would, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like him and be able to pick wines for a table and uh, create an awesome experience for my guests, whether it's in a restaurant or at home um, or wherever I go. And uh, that kind of planted the seed early on that, um, you know, I, I wanted to not only learn, learn more about wine, but, you know, hopefully it's going to be a part of my story. That's cool. So let me see if I get my dates. So two, if that was 2017 and your first solo travel, that would indicate that was you transitioning it. I was no, like, so I, I'm, I'm still in the army. Um, I've been just, doing everything on the side. Have uh, you? This is like, yeah, this is like my side business. So no way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a career guy. I'll be doing my full 20. Um, you know, I love my job. love what I do. Um, and the business is, is, uh, is a part of that. Okay, so that, that just throws me. I'm like, okay, so I get, you know, you've left the army. But no, it's your career, man. Yeah. So what was your dad? So you said your dad's business. So you mentioned your dad's business. When he yeah, he was, a, uh, he was a PGA golf professional. Um, so so not, a, not a pro golfer. 
didn't play know. or anything like that, but uh, he, he was in the business of golf and yep. managing golf clubs and country clubs, um, which is, which is funny because I would sit and watch him as a kid and how he, you know, maintained relationships with his club members mm-hmm. at his country clubs. And it's the same thing for a wine club. It's maintaining those relationships and building a complete member experience um and that's that's the thing you know that's the same across any club whatever whatever your offer is if it's a club if you have a membership it's all about the member experience so how are you creating that so i mean so you've obviously this wealthy experience through your dad right so and these country clubs and that i mean totally agree with your experience how are you creating that in your wine club as if somebody's still in the full-time military it's like where do you find the time yeah no it's uh so the, the biggest thing we do is we try to say we're, we're one, we're telling the great American wine story. Um, and I, I know there's some great, great stuff in Canada and, you know, Europe and Italy. Of course, I've tasted, I still, I love international wine. Um, but, you know, I had to come up with a focus for the club. Mm-hmm. And for right now, it's, it's, it's a focus on American wines and uh, telling those stories. And uh, from there, we're able to pick some great wines that, that have an awesome story and are really connected to their communities and be able to share that story with our club members via our monthly wine club member call. Uh, and so what we do every month, we bring on a, the producer, we bring on the winemaker. Um, sometimes we'll have a celebrity on there. Uh, sometimes we'll just bring on a cool personality, but we create this complete you know, experience once a month where people will get to come, have fun, drink some wine, and just learn more about wine in general. Uh, so that way they, you know, we like to say we're not, we're not just giving people fish, we're teaching them how to fish. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just give you wines that are great. I want to teach you how to pick great wines for yourself and your friends and your family. Yeah. I mean, and so as a, I will say a very, very novice novice on the wine side of things. Yeah. Um, it, like none of that kind of background. We grew up and you get blue nun at Christmas. <laughs> so that was your lot. Some leapfrog milk or something for Germany, yeah. and that was this, that was about your wine experience. But there's also another wine in Scotland, and it's something you probably will never want to taste and should never taste. And it comes to a place called Buckfast Abbey, and it's a tonic wine, right? <laughs> it's disgusting. No thanks. I'll stick. I'll stick to scotch. There's so many people drinking in Scotland. It's unreal, right? So. You know, that that's really was my two experiences of wine until later years. Yeah. And, you know, I think my first foray in was, uh, you know, have a Merlot or have a Shiraz. And I'm like, ah, okay. Right. And then it wasn't until I got here into the Okanagan and only in the last couple of years did I really start to experience it. And I think because my wife joined the wine club for yeah. a local vineyard, right? Yeah. And you get to do tastings. Right. And I think it's that aspect is like, yeah, I don't like that one. Don't like that one. I probably wouldn't have spent 10, 12 bucks in a, a restaurant to go and say, I'll try that or I'll try that. So I'm learning what I do and don't like. Right. And it turns out I'm, I'm a white wine guy. I do like, I don't know what it is. It was the last thing I thought I would like. And what I, felt, I think I've seen it before is, is that when you match it with food, and get the right food pairing. Oh my God, does it just change everything? And again, something I had never experienced. Is that the sort of thing when you were traveling through Italy, you were getting to that like, okay, it wasn't just, here's a bottle of wine. It was like, you have it with that, or you do it like this, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the full experience. And, you know, you brought up something that I really want to hone in on, that it is it is an experience, it's about the journey, right? It's, you know, everyone knows it's, it's not about the, the end results. It's about how you get there, right? And wine and wine tasting is the same way because you're going to come across wines you don't like. And if, if you look at it like if you have a negative experience and you frame it that way, then you're not going to you're going to turn yourself off to so many other great wines that you're going to you're going to love. But if you try to have fun with it and and try to find the wines that you do like and try to give give wines a chance um, and, and have somebody to kind of walk you through that process and, and show you like another side of wine. That's where it starts to get fun because yeah. when you really like know, like, okay, I like highly acidic wines from Italy or I'd like, you know, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from California, whatever it is, 
but when you hone in on those things that you like and you start going to different places and you try and it within that category or within the mm-hmm. styles, the stuff you like, you get to start to see the small nuances and the little differences between the, even the same grape from the same vineyard, you know, uh, made by a different producer, um, a different year. Same year and how vastly different yeah. it can be. Yeah. And that's what we're noticing as well, because looking through like at the moment, I think it's 2017s, 2018s, 2019s. And because of how the smoke come through for some of the big forest fires through the US and then up in here, you can get those, we'll say tannins are changing and the undertones are changing. But yeah, I'm still a novice, but I get what you're saying. It's like having to take that experience and figure out what's right for you. And it's vast, but having somebody guide you in that, that has been essential, you know. Um, I think we one of the people that would walk us through um, had really a, a cool way of speaking about wine. And she's like, one of the things I remember saying, that's a hot tub wine. <laughs> you know, and it was just that, you know, it's like, this is the one I want you get. And, and see, when you get that, you're just like, yeah, cool. Okay. Don't have a hot tub, but I get where she was coming from, you know, and it changes that. And it's just, I think, for, at least for myself, as I've started to experience more, I don't know if my, it's not my palate's changed around along those lines because that's just crazy at this stage, but you're starting to get some of those undertones and you're starting to kind of like, oh, I think the other day I was there and it's like, it's like, a Granny Smith apple. Now, that was about the best analogy I could come up with. But she's like, ah, you know, I'm not sure I get the freshly mown grass stuff and not, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of these way out terms. Right. But um, it definitely has changed how I look at things. You know, and I'm, I'm big on the idea that you have to experiment, right? And it's right. everything's a result. Right. So you, you're, you're concentrating on the American market. So for the uneducated like myself, I know Napa Valley and through that place, but where else within the US are you getting really, really good wines produced? So we're we're also still kind of focused on California right now, but we've done some wines up in Oregon and Willamette Valley, and um, I've had some great stuff from Washington. Haven't been <laughs> in the club yet, but we'll we'll try to figure out how to incorporate those soon. But um, you know, there's so much more to California than just Napa and Sonoma. Um, yeah, there's. You know, down south, you have wine regions all the way from the southern tip of the state to the northern tip of the state, starting with Temecula down by San Diego. Going up, you've got uh, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara has some amazing, you know, Pinot Noirs, some great, uh, some great Chardonnay, some great, uh, even they even do have some uh, great Cabernets that come out of there because of the geography. Moving up a little bit further, you've got Paso Robles, which is kind of halfway between uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, they're in the valley. That's it's it's a hot, arid climate during the summer um, that allows you to grow some great mm-hmm. red varietals like Merlot and Cab, and um, uh, even some cool Spanish varietals like Tempranillo or Mourvedre uh, or, or Grenache. Uh, and then moving back up, you know where I'm at right now, Monterey. Uh, Monterey is right here on the coast, and it, you really like get that uh, in a lot of Monterey wines. You get that salinity you know, from the, the ocean spray, that ocean gotcha. mist that comes yep. into your glass. Um, and you know, you can, you can smell stuff like, uh, smell the ocean air or, or uh, get that kind of salty acidic taste to it. And, um, you know, tasting the, the, the lemon and, you know, kind of all these things that you expect for a wine that's going to go really well with seafood. Um, and then, you know, moving up from there, you've got Livermore, which is a great undiscovered area. Uh, Lodi has some of the best Zinfandel in the world. <laughs> Um, and then all the way up north of Napa and Sonoma, you've got Mendocino, which is actually a large location where a lot of grapes are sourced for wines that are made throughout California. They get the grapes from places like Mendocino and Lodi um, and even Monterey. And that's a big misconception people have is that all, all this amazing wine comes out of Napa and Sonoma. Okay. Well, yeah, they make great wine. Uh, that's not where a majority of it comes from. A majority comes from other areas and they just, you know, bring it into Napa to be made into wine. Oh, so that, so it's getting so that makes sense right because having done the tour here is like they're drawing from all over southern bc and along looking at different soils and different temperatures for daytime to nighttime and then they bring them to the winery and then combining them and making them yeah just you just don't <laughs> it's california so big it's like yeah it's like this whole stretch so it yeah. makes a difference. So I've got to ask you, um, we'll touch on some other stuff. It's like two buck chuck. 
Come on, what's your take on two buck chuck? And for so, anybody that's outside the US that hasn't heard of two buck chuck, yeah, um, he literally does that whole mass production of wine and sell it. Well, it used to sell it. I don't know if it's still that at two dollars a bottle. I don't think it was ever that bad. I think the, the mass production and bringing grapes in from everywhere kind of leveled it out to something that was just, okay, pretty good. But I'm assuming you're not throwing that into your wine club. No, no, there, there's nothing wrong with two buck chuck. You know, that, that fits a certain, that fits a certain uh, profile of a wine buyer, right? A wine consumer. And um, and that's great if that's their entry level point into wine. Uh, but I think for us, for a lot of our members, they're looking to kind of elevate what they're drinking yep. um, with, with, you know, being able to stay within budget. It's, it's not always about, you know, getting the more expensive wine is the better it is. There's so many other factors that go into it. It's, you know, uh, what do you actually like in the wine and whether, whether or not that like those things are in the bottle. Um, those characteristics are in the wine that doesn't, you know, price is not always the, the determiner on whether one, whether it's a good wine or two, yep. whether you like it or not. Um, but, you know, there is something to be said. I, I personally, like I have, I have, uh, I'll have my fair share of, of mass produced wines here and there. Um, but I, I'm also, you know, I know what I like now and um, I can't necessarily get everything I want at the grocery store or even at a bottle shop. And so, um, that's, that's kind of what pushed me to make the club and, you know, big challenge. A lot of people don't go do wine tastings. Like y'all are members, I'm sure of mm -hmm. your winery, your local winery. And that's, that's great support local. Um, but a lot of times people will get tired of getting the same wines from the same winery year after year. Uh, and they want some variety. And so I think that's where we come in is we provide a place for you to try different, you know, we put six different producers from six different wineries with six different varietals or types of grapes. Um, in every shipment, so that way you're trying something new every quarter. Cool. So, I, so that, as a guy who likes wine yourself, that has to be a lot of tasting experiences you're going on. Yeah, yeah. So again, I, how you again full serving member? The US military, How are you finding the time? I go back to that one. It's like, you know, it's not like something you just Google and go to Alibaba and say, "I'm going to go on Amazon and sell this thing." It's like. You know, you're talking about for the whole of California is yeah. we'll kind of stick to there, right? So I'm assuming you have to kind of travel to a lot of these places if you're not finding them in your local bottle shop or even specialty bottle shops. Honestly, like it's the COVID has completely changed how everything operates now, you know, like you, you can you can connect with brands and, and find stuff in a completely different digital environment. And um, you know, social media has been, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been a great way to connect with brands. And, um, and so a lot of times like I'll, you know, reach out to brand or they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, I love your content. Nice. Would love to connect with y'all. They'll, you know, sometimes they'll send me a bottle. And so I'll, I'll try their wines that way. And that's how I get exposed to them. Um, and, and some of it is just going out and doing tastings and, uh, really trying to learn an area. Because if you if you can understand an area, then you can have a kind of an idea of what that area is known for, because you're not always going to be able to find that specific producer maybe that you want. But you can usually find like here in Monterey, we have this this mountain range is called the Santa Lucia Highlands. And it's it's known worldwide for its Chardonnay and its Pinot Noir. And so if I'm going to put something from that region into a shipment, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to get the producer I want because wine is a cyclical thing. Um, and stuff has been moving really fast, uh, especially recently. <laughs> and, and availability is sometimes limited to two yeah. weeks out. So if I've got a shipment, you know, I might not be able to figure out point, pick the wines until two weeks before it's going out. So, but if I know like, okay, this wine is from this region. Uh, this is the grape bridal. I, I have a general idea. Like this is going to be a really good wine because I know that region. I know I do my research on that, that, that producer. Um, and I've, you know, hopefully tasted something either that they've done before or in that specific area. And I know it's going to do well in the club. So you, are you the guy in the officer's mess that's advised never be what they should and shouldn't be drinking when they're like, dining? I'm assuming you have dining in nights still, you know, you're still allowed to kind of hang yeah, out together. I haven't done one of those in a while, but, uh, typically that's a little bit different, uh, drinking experience. <laughs> but, um, 
but uh you know if, <laughs> if, if i try to i try to let people know like hey i'm your wine guy you know if you got a yep. question about wine shoot me a message shoot me a text give me a call like if you're in the bottle shop and you're stuck between two wines you don't know what to do like give me a call let me let me help you out let me help you make a good decision so we'll go pike it so when did you join up uh 2010 so it how old were you 19 20 uh 22 22 so yeah, yeah. oh but you joined as an officer or did you join yeah. as enlisted yeah, I, in and go officer? i went in went in after college after college yeah, yeah. yeah. unlike me i didn't get to the college part well i done one year at college and went can't handle this any longer um and they literally called me up i wasn't supposed to join till like july or the august or september or something like that and it was like mm-hmm. phone call on a monday night hey so uh is, are you doing anything you can't get out of? And I'm still at college. I'm working in the grocery store. I'm like, no, no, really. She says, why? I've got a place for you. She says, when? She says, tomorrow. You want to go? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's what it was. Do you want to go? And I'm like, hold on. just need to check my mum. So I'm just, what, 18 in two months at this time. She wouldn't yeah. let me join before I was 18. Right. She wouldn't right. sign me off. Right. So I walks in the living room and goes, hey, mom, dad. It's like, what? Who's on the phone? Oh, she's at his career's office. Like, yeah. It's like, uh, any chance anybody wants to go to Glasgow tomorrow? That's where the career's office was. Like, right. why? It's like, I'm joining. They're like, what? Like, yeah, I could leaving tomorrow. I had none of the gear. You know what it's like when you first join? It's like, you got to take all this, I'll say silly stuff with you. Yeah. Right. Before they give you all their silly stuff. Right. I had none of it. I was no, like, so I just run a bit like a headless chicken for the next 24 hours trying to prep. Like right. literally in swearing the oath, getting right. kicked out. Um, so actually, I don't know what it's like for you when you join as an officer. Like one of the first things to do is cut your hair. Was it? Well, yeah. I mean, you when when you go when you take your oath, you have you're now like, okay, you're expected to act like an officer yep. now. And officers have haircuts. Uh, and you will show in if you're in uniform, you will have a haircut. So what happened with me was is that I missed that part because <laughs> I was late because of this whole attestation thing. So I showed up. They had all been in early on in the morning, got all their uniform sure. and got their haircut. Yeah. But the next day was photograph day for your ID. So I went about like hair worse than this for the whole nine years. They used to make me take my ID out at the pub and laugh at me because yeah. it was that long. Um, so yeah, I'd missed that one. So it was just one of the kind of running jokes. So you joined straight out of college. What did you do at college? Um, I just studied international relations. I like to say it was a, it was a BA and BS. <laughs> so then you join up 22. Yep. Why the army? Honestly, just because they, they offered me a scholarship. Um, they're the only, the only service that offered me a scholarship. So I was like, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. And what branch are you in? Or what's your uh, MOS? Yeah, so I... I that I, count I, as an MOS? MOS, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I started out as an artillery officer, and now I'm a civil affairs officer. Oh, so your undergrad did come in handy at some point for your civil affairs side of things. Yeah. So when were you in Afghanistan? Uh, 2011, 2012. That's a long time. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, it's them. I'm blanking there. I'm like, golly. Oh, this is a bad one. Where did you grow up? So you're saying your dad managed country. So you're a Texas boy. Texas, yeah. Oh. So how do you find California compared to Texas? It's different. <laughs> it's a different, different environment for sure. Because I follow a lot of different people in social media yeah. and there's a lot of complaints and leaving um, California or go to Texas right? just for the environment perspective and right. a lot of different things. Right. So your wine club experience. You're saying your digital environment. How does that go? So you're packing up your stuff, you're sending it to your members, and you said you're setting up like a call, and you did like a live Zoom thing with your whole group, and then do you do you go through the tastings with them? 
Yeah, yeah. So I actually, um, the good thing is I've got a fulfillment partner. Um, so they do all the shipping for me. Nice. Um, that was big, big lesson learned from my first business was, you know, if you're going to be going around the world, like you need to be able to don't take on physical inventory, you know, running an online business. So, um, so that way, you know, we, we have, we have all of our members and I know, you know, before we order the wines, all right, we've got, 50, you know, 50 or hundred members or whatever it is for this quarter. So we just order enough wine to, to cover our membership. And then everyone else that joins after that, they get rolled over to the next month or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I do that. That's how we, we run the club. And then every month I just reach out, we feature two wines every month and I reach out to those two brands and say, Hey, we're, we're featuring your wine this month. We would love for you to hop on zoom and, and tell us about your wines. Oh, cool. And, and they're usually more than happy to do that. And they come on and people get to, to just learn more about the wines. And really, like I said, you know, get to learn, like, this is what, you know, this is what they like in wine. And did my, uh, can you, <laughs> I might have technical difficulties again. Did That's my okay. screen just go off? That's okay. Oh my God. See what's happened here. See, should have practiced longer. There you go. Now I've got I've got images everywhere. Ah, oh, flip. See, that's why I'm not using video. One of the days. Um. So, which which your growth like? What What do you mean for your member? So your main membership thing. So, what's your growth like, and where are you hoping to take it? So, I mean, you've you said I think you said eleven years you've been in. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you going to do career? So, what is that? Nine to go. Nine to go. Yeah. Nine to go. So is, is this something you're planning to take you into that transition phase and keep going and just keep building and building? Or do you see some kind of evolution in it? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to be able to build the club up to a point where when it is time for me to retire, um, whenever that is, um, that I can just simply walk off of active duty and walk into, into my business and run it full time. And I know that, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to maximize my opportunities between now and then as much as I can. But uh, when I'm able to focus completely on the business, I know it's, it's the opportunities are endless. There, there are no limits. So when you say there are no limits, does some of that come from the attitude that you get bred within the army? Is it something you've learned as family or is it just something that's completely self-taught? Because it's something a lot of people just, I'll say safely, do not comprehend the understanders. There are no limits. Yeah. So where does yours come from? That idea is like, yeah, sure. I I think for me, I always knew what I wanted to do. Um, I was two years old and uh, the first Gulf War uh, for, for, you know, the U.S. uh, Yeah, I was in Gibraltar at the time. First Gulf War, uh, you know, I was like two years old that time. And uh, we were, you know, I was in Houston. We were sitting at a stoplight or a cross railroad crossroads um, railroad track, and a bunch of uh, M1, M1A1 Abrams and M3 uh, Bradleys were, were rolling across. Um, and I looked at those tanks and I said to my mom, That's what I want to do when I'm older. And ever since then, I knew I was going to be in the military. Um, and I, it just like, it just drove me to, I didn't see things as like, not, I didn't see limits to what I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, of of what I would be doing in the military. I I just knew that I was going to do it. Um, and it, everything I, I would do from middle school to high school to college, I, I always like ask myself, how is this going to make me a better officer one day? Um, and so you always wanted your commission. Oh, sorry. That's, that's a yeah. UK thing. Is it no commission? Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to be a commission officer. Yep. Um, because I saw it as, as a, as a challenge, as more of a challenge. And, you know, and I think, you know, our NCOs do a great job and, and there's nothing wrong with going enlisted. That's what's your path is. But for me, it was about, okay, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to do this job, but it's another thing to be the man or you know the woman that that has to lead these people. 
Um, and that, that challenge to me was what, what drove me like, all right, I need, if I'm going to lead, I've got to do everything I can to be as prepared for that as possible. Um, and from there, you know, and, and now that, you know, I bring it to the context of business. Now it's like, how does this opportunity or how does this thing I'm doing, how does this make me a better businessman or a better business leader? Or how does this improve, you know, allow us to do business better, serve our, our members, serve our customers better. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a great question to ask yourself every time you're expending any of your time, money, or energy. I mean, I'll touch back in that, what you were saying is the two. So unless somebody's actually seen one of those transport things on a rail track, they go on forever. This yeah. is not a five minute stop. <laughs> For any of the ones I've ever seen, either in Canada or in the US, you're waiting for a while. Yeah. Um, but that idea is like, for that point in time, it guided you and it guided you in your decisions through middle school, high school, and into university. Is like, I'm going to do this. Do you think that level of, and I'll call it just vision for uh, for saying sake, do you think that's common for, for your experience? I mean, I've, I've definitely heard that the idea of knowing what you're going to do from such an early age is definitely not common. Oh. Um, and you and know, no using it as that guide, even as that guiding light is like, am I, is this, is this aligning with the person I want to become having that like dialed in? And I'm sure you said your usual teenage dance as we all had and I'm um, experiencing yeah, now in my teenager. Not. I don't get it right all the time. I mean, especially right now in the business, I have made a ton of mistakes, ton, ton of mistakes. But, you know, just, just today I had had a call with a guy who's helping me out with some sales processes. And he was like, you know what, Chris, like going back to time, he's like, I, we, we lost some momentum um, because, you know, I was a, kind of had some expectations of you that you're going to do this, this, and this for me. And you know, I told him I respect that. Thanks for giving me that feedback. You know, thanks for telling me how you feel and how I failed, you know, this relationship and what can I do to, to improve it and, you know, hold up my end of the bargain. So again, that's another interesting point. Somebody was, so you so we'll use the terms of radical candor, just delivered the truth, the honesty to you. And you're like, okay, I own that. Again, that's another one of the things I just I find is lacking is that level of accountability and ownership. Yeah. So I go back to it. Is it something that has grown within you? Is it something that developed through the military? Or is it something you think you just had growing up? Because I see that like you said, it's unusual. I mean, I think every boy who sees a bunch of tanks crossing the road wants to go and drive tanks. Sorry if it sounds chauvinistic, but it's just kind of what it is. It's like Look at that thing. I want to drive. <laughs> but you change your focus. No, I want to lead. And I mean, to clearly say you want to lead, not just I want to be an officer or that ideology is like, I want to lead and I want to be good at it. That's another level above that sort of normal step. It's not like so many of us who think I need to escape. I'm getting out of this place that I'm in. Yeah. And that was what it was for me. It was grew up in an iron and steel town. It was dying, or even a village. Yeah. And college just wasn't me. And I'm like, how did I get out of here? Mm -hmm. And the military was my out. And as I said, the first, the first thought was I actually tried the Navy. And uh, I didn't pass the test that I wanted to get the job I wanted to get. So the next, next door is the Air Force. So they all used to exist side by side. So I went to them and it was the time I top gun. I'm like, I want to fly planes. And they're like, no, pal, you're not flying planes. <laughs> but we can get you these jobs. Let's try and see these tests. So I've done all the tests and I got everything else other than become an officer and fly planes because I wasn't willing to go to college and do four years. I wanted out now. So like, yeah, that's not happening. Go to university, we'll consider it. It's like, nah, that's not happening. So for me, it was that escape. And I found so many of the guys that, that I served with was that same sort of thing. It's like, this is a way out. But it was an awakening for me. Like, 
like unlike anything I think I've ever experienced since. It's like, oh, I can be this. And I think as you said, there was some aspect it was like, and I, anybody that's not been in the military maybe gets the wrong impression that you're so governed in everything you do. Yeah, there's a set of rules and regulations and all the rest. But in a lot of aspects, I don't think I'd have ever as much freedom to do the job I needed to do. Mm-hmm. There wasn't somebody looking over your shoulder all the time going, are you sure you're doing that right? And you're doing this? And you're not? It's like you were trained and you knew what to do. Go and do it. And I think there's a concept there that doesn't necessarily get taken up to within the civilian world because I've come across it so many times. It's like, well, it, you, you're always told what to do. It's like, told what to achieve. You're just never told how to do it. The assumption yeah. is, is that you've been trained, you've got the tools. And if you don't, make it fucking work. Right. You know, and it's that idea of make it fucking work yeah. that people don't get. And it's like, yeah, okay, so I don't have that. How am I going to get it? So there's a creativity comes in, I think, uh, particularly if I, well, maybe I'm biased that I've seen for a lot of the buddies I have. Like, the world's out there looking for problems. Yeah. I see military guys, and they even go past the solution and look beyond what would the solution would be and then either. Okay, that here's the objective, and it's complete. It's a com- different mentality in a lot of aspects. And I'm not saying it's everybody, but I think there's definitely something in there that needs to get tapped into exterior. And I think it's something that a lot of veterans need to know that they have and utilize better when they hit the civilian side of things. Because you're never truly a civilian again, I don't think. You know. Yeah, and, and I think one, it's I've been described as being relentlessly positive. Um, and a lot of times in the military, there's this dark sense of humor, you know, very dark. Yes. Cynicism. Right. And there, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that, but I've found that that's not, that's not there. And you don't have that in, in corporate America, in the business world. And, um, and there's a reason why, you know, people do business the way they do. And, at the same time, some people, look, there's some great people out there and I've got some genuine relationships, but I know that no one's going to care about me the way that the people in the military that have come into my life care about me, you know, because they're, they're some of the best people that you're ever going to come across. I know that for a fact. Um, and that's why I think veterans are, you know, the, the best people that you can hire, that you can, that can start companies that can go on to do great things, but you've got to you've got to one have grit and then you've got to separate yourself and how you're feeling and how a interaction goes from, uh, from the situation itself and look at it from the other person's perspective, just like this call today. I felt like, I felt like shit today when this guy told me that. Right. Yep. But, but I had to say, yeah, you also fucked this up because you, you drop, he was, he had a different expectation and you didn't meet that expectation for him. And that's why he's, he's probably feeling shitty because you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain. And so you've got to separate those things out and not let those things wear you down and, you know, and, and look at it from, from a different perspective and figure out what you can do to move forward and, and improve and, and not dwell on something that maybe rubbed you the wrong way or rub, rubbed another person the wrong yep. way and have that grit to can continue moving forward. So you mentioned the expectations there. Now, is that expectations he'd set himself, expectations you didn't set, are somewhere in between? Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of Jocko Willink and Extreme Ownership. Yep. I don't know if you checked out any of his stuff, but that that's that's – Partly on that's that that was if someone has a negative interaction with you, whether they cause it or not, that's your still your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't obviously set the expectations for how we were gonna work together from my end. Yeah. And so so because I didn't take responsibility to do that, then that created this negative interaction. And and so you have to you have to own that and um and remember that for next time. So that way as you as you build new relationships, you can set those expectations up front, and um, and show that you know you genuinely want to provide a high level of service and that have a positive interaction with people. 
and that's kind of what I was getting, setting that expectation, right? You know, because if, if you don't set it, they'll make it. Yeah. And if they yeah. make it, you're always, you can always run into the idea is that you're not living up to it. Yep. Yeah. But you, you know, you say, like you said, uh, extreme ownership and the whole idea, but it gets tiresome sometimes when you own everything. <laughs> it, and that's, and that's exactly right. And that's why you got to cut commitments slash commitments and only focus on the things that really align with you and, and your purpose and your mission. Yeah. So I'll touch on another one. Go back. Grit. How do you define grit? Grit. Oof. Yeah. You can come here a couple of times. How do you define that one? Because I know it's it's one of the terms that gets thrown out a lot, right? It's like, um, and I want to say, is it Angela Duckworth? She came up with grit as the book. But how do you define it? Because again, you're transitioning both of these worlds, or no transitioning, you're living in a civilian world. Um and you're operating completely in a military world, right? And it's two different worlds. So grit in one is not necessarily grit in the other one. Yeah. So how are you defining it? And how are you how are you managing that one? This is something I probably think about every day. Um, I mean, one, it's it's the grit to keep going. And, you know, and, you know, if you, you lose a sale, you, you have um, a negative interaction with somebody, you can, you can sit there and let those things, you know, bring you down and, uh, and, and bring your emotions down, or you can move past it and find the things that you can do, you know, focus on the things you can control. Um, and then it's, it's also like doing the things you don't want to do when you need to do them. Um, like I hate, I hate writing emails. Do you? Yeah. I, I, it's just not my thing. And, you know, I've got a virtual assistant now. She helps out with some of it, but she can't do everything. And, and, and you can't, um, you know, I had, uh, I had these high hopes and expectations for my VA. And then I realized that I can't, and so she's only going to rise to the level of which I train her. Mm-hmm. I use that I, one quite a bit. We do not rise to the le- to our expectations. We default to the level of training. Right. And that training is my responsibility because she's a part of my organization. Yep. And, um, and, and so you have to, you have to kind of take all those things into account and manage those expectations and, and realize that things are going to take 10 times as longer to do them and be complete and get to the the end state that's probably going to be different than how you envision in your mind but it's you're going to get close to it or you know left or right of it and from there you can continue to refine and adjust and and just keep moving it forward so it's back to that journey thing it's Mm -hmm. on the journey and as long as you don't go too far off course you can always pivot back at any point yeah and even if you do go too far off course you can always start again you know there's so many if you're on a fitness journey you know, you can, you, you know, you have a bad day. You don't get a workout in, you, you eat like crap. There's always tomorrow. Had a couple of them recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always tomorrow to be able to reset and recalibrate and get back out there. That that's what matters is that you, you get back to doing it. The things that you need to do, or you want to do based off of what your goals are or, or the kind of person you want to become. Um, and you start acting like that person that you want to be um, not the person that you are right now, because it's something that, you know, uh, you want to change about yourself. See, and I think putting it that way is, is completely different from, or at least for me, for that idea is, is that, oh, I'll see the negative side of positive thinking. Yeah. Right. You can't think yourself into that, but it shouldn't stop you thinking about who you want to be and using that as your guiding light. Right. It's completely, you can't stand in the mirror and go, I'm going to be fit. It's like, you know, unless you get your ass moving, that's not happening. You know? Yeah. It, I'm going it, to be rich. Yeah, unless you have to go and do something or sell something or work for something and put the effort in, it's not going to happen. You know, so all these law attraction people might be hating me, but it requires work and it requires effort. And, and you need to reframe it and not think, I'm, I'm going to be rich or I'm going to be fit or whatever. Instead, you need to think of it as, I'm going to be doing these things, right? 
I'm going to, I'm going to work out every day and I'm going to eat healthy every day. And then the results will come and, and don't, don't set those expectations for yourself. Instead, focus on doing the right things every day and figure out what those right things are and then let the journey happen and see where you end up. And that's, I think that draws back right back into what you were saying about your own thing for who you want to become, what you've seen it being and how you're living into that now yeah. is like, the work you put in only assists you to become the person you want to be and how you want to show up. Yep. And again, I think that's one is we, a lot of people, we miss it on. And particularly in the, the, the new, but I'll say even in the, this online world is the idea of, oh, you set goals, but most people don't really set a goal. They set a task. It's like, right. I'm going to go to the gym every day. That's not really a goal. It's a task. Man, that's like, what are you going for? What's it going to result in? What do you want to become right. as you move through that, right? right? And how do you show up? And then future think it, right? So, I mean, you're in that future think right now. It's like, oh, I'm starting a wine club as a fully separate member of the American military. <laughs> because when I retire, <laughs> I want that to be my thing. Now, it might not be a thing. It might evolve. It might move on. Right. But at the moment, it's like, okay, my day-to-day. So, yeah, it's a lot of interesting stuff there. But to, for anybody that's listening, it needs to unpack. So try working some of these weird questions. Is there something you would, if you told somebody, they wouldn't believe you about yourself? Like they wouldn't know and you say, well, I've done this. And they're like, no way. a great question man that's that's a new one i haven't been asked that one yet um i would tell you so i've i've rocked a marathon before and anybody just know what a rock is what was in your rock 35 pounds 35 Um, pounds that was ended up being 45 pounds by the end of of all 26 miles because sweat We were, yeah, sweat in, we were in a desert. So that sweat and that sand just combined it up into extra cakes in. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think, a, I, I think the the wine is something that surprises a lot of people. They're yeah. Like, you're, you're in the army. You, you, you know, to drink beer and whiskey, right. You know, and and to me, it's, it's completely different. Like I've got a, I've got a thing for, I think wine, wine for me, it's, it reminds me of art and it reminds me of, uh, something that's aesthetically pleasing. And there's just this like subtle order to it that, that I really enjoy. And to me, it gives my mind something cool to focus on outside of work. And that's really where this all came from is wine. Wine was a hobby for me. You know, it was, I was enjoying, you know, being able to, find these cool bottles that look cool, that taste mm-hmm. cool, that, um, and I really got to nerd out on all the different things inside, you know, the wine itself. And it gave my mind uh, a break from the the day-to-day that I have in the day job. I, that's, again, that's a cool one. Is like the ideology is, so did it kick off as a hobby then? Just yeah. as, as that distraction thing is like, I just need something to be doing that isn't it? the army yeah you know now the quick have to drive back to the question you did say you like a good scotch but do you drink beer i, I drink beer i'll have a good i mean so that, just, sometimes it's like man i just need to have a great beer and you know and that's while wine is my specialty and what i know the most about you know this idea of pairing and it's really about the experience mm-hmm. and sometimes that experience requires a beer and sometimes it requires a whiskey um, and, and really for us, it's about bringing people together and, and letting the experience be a catalyst for conversation. You know, whether you're, you're talking to people talking about saving the world or, you know, uh, you know, finding new renewable energy sources or, uh, getting water to, to people in the world that don't have water, you know, clean drinking water, or if you're just trying to meet new friends, it's, it's about creating experience that, that becomes a catalyst for conversation. And I'm going to leave that there because I know you've got some time, but I have to leave it with that one. It's the creating the experience for a catalyst for conversation. 
And I think it's something we are missing it on. And we seem to be missing more and more is the ability to just sit down and talk. Yeah. You know, we no real agenda, just, hey, what about you? What about life? What's happening? Because that's where you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of find people interesting. So it's, yeah. it's always cool. Yeah. So where can people find you? How do they find out more about the wine club? And how do we get them towards you to experience wine? As I've started to experience wine, and as somebody who has, I'm, I'm a beer drinker. Um, I do. I don't mind a scotch now and again. But for me, scotch is all about the company. I would never drink it on my own. I don't mind having a beer on my own. But for scotch, it's about company. Um, and I'm saying scotch, and the Scottish people are going to go, it's not scotch. So where do we find you? Where where do we direct them? So yeah. they can find out more about this wine club of yours and they can watch it grow over the years. Yeah, no, thank um yeah, I mean the, the best place honestly to connect with me is on Instagram. Um that's just Instagram.com slash the real Chris Levy. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-K-R-I-S-L-E-V-Y, the real Chris Levy. And um, you know, feel free to to connect with me, connect with me there, shoot me a message. Um, you know, let me know you, you've, you listened to the episode with, with Grant here today and, and, you know, share it with everybody, but, um, you can do that or you can check out our website, kleveywineco.com. Um, and we've actually got a really good resource there for anyone that wants to learn more about tasting wine. And cool. I haven't, a, I haven't, mess, I haven't found that one yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be checking well. that as well. Yeah. Just kleveywineco.com slash resources. And you'll, you'll see our, our simple guide to wine tasting there. So that way, when you do go do wine tasting, you look like a professional. Um, and you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't think I'll get to that stage, man. I don't think I'll get to that stage. Anyway, thank you very much. Um, thank you for your time. I'm not going to, don't want to disrespect anybody. I know what you do, day in, day out. Know what it takes, buddy. And absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, Grant, this, this has been awesome. You, you've asked me some great questions that have really made me think, and for that, that I, I appreciate that. I, oh, a ton of information there, brother. I mean, just how you spin it uh, on way beyond wine and how you just apply things to life. And if you can do it as a two-year-old, there ain't no excuse for any of the adults out there. All right, man. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And Take care, and I'm glad we could actually touch base, and I apologize for missing the last one. No worries. Thanks, Grant. All right, man. Take it easy. Cheers. Cheers.